0: 37 million of us and a whole bunch of them were at the same airport that we were connecting through. It struck me as ironic that as I looked at travelers, they didn't seem very thankful. Oh, they were going home for Thanksgiving, but they didn't look thankful. They looked hurried, frustrated, tired, impatient, irritable, and sleepy. It's ironic that as we enter into this season, that is in some ways, in many ways, the way we feel. You know, we have been given, it's the law of our land to be thankful. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? I did this week. It's actually the law of the land this week to be thankful. You guys ever have forced fun? Maybe a parent or youth director or somebody says, Okay, we're going out and we're going to have fun by God. We're going to have fun. You ever feel that way? Well, in a way, we're kind of forced this week to, to be thankful. I'm kind of a history buff, and I researched a little more this week and uh, found a, a, a proclamation. The very first Thanksgiving proclamation was given by Governor Bradford in the year 1623, three years after the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock. Look with me uh, on the screen. This is the official inaugural Thanksgiving proclamation. Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn... "...wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables... "...and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams... "...and inasmuch as He has protected us from the ravages of the savages... "...has spared us from pestilence and disease... "...has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience... "...now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and ye little ones do gather at your meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623. And the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. He went on to say, hide ye children, hide ye wife. (laughs) Years later... George Washington, about 170 years later, he himself joined in to say that we as a nation collectively ought together have a day set aside of giving thanks to the sovereign God. In, in the year 1623, um, I'm sorry, 1863, Abraham Lincoln, in the height of the Civil War, said the very th- same thing. He lended credence to the notion that we're together in this thing and that we all have a lot to be thankful for another world war was happening in 1941 when there was a congressional resolution that was issued saying that we as a nation that we ought to be thankful and we ought to be thankful officially on the last Thursday of November but even though we have presidential proclamations congressional resolutions and official declarations we don't have to feel thankful do we and some of us don't and that's why this morning I would like us to ask this very question. It's one of those how questions. Do we have it? <laughs> no, nope, we don't have it. But, but how, do we, how do we act? How do we act when we don't feel thankful? This photo here was... Here we go. How do I celebrate Thanksgiving when I'm not feeling thankful? Now, think about it. There was a time when, when our forefathers... They thanked God for their daily bread as Jesus instructed in the Lord's Prayer. Thank you for the daily bread. But when we go to the grocery store, we see this, don't we? You saw it a moment ago. <laughs> They've been drinking in the back, I'm telling you. Cathead vodka, had something here, and they just, they just... But does that overwhelm anybody? Do you see the absurdity, the oddity? Now look, I'm like you. I'm, I'm super excited that Fresh Market is opening. Of course, I'm not going to shop there because I'm a part of Rainbow Grocery right here in Fondren, right? Whole Foods, yeah. But look at that. Whole Foods, you're right. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you get that? I mean, just let that... The preacher ought to shut up and just let that speak for itself. But how do we act? What do we do when we don't feel thankful? I want to give you a couple of passages. In fact, if you have a Bible, would you turn there to Psalm 42? And then I'm going to get you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'm going to draw out one really, really important word here. Psalm 42, we'll look at verses 1 through 5. And if you know Ecclesiastes, that's You've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, you got Ecclesiastes. So you can go ahead and flip to chapter 12. We're going to have both of these passages up if you don't want to show what you don't know and turning in the Bible. We're going to have both of these passages up. But Psalm 42, 1, it starts off uh, with a little bit of poetry, with a little bit of background, with a little bit of context. And then a, a famous passage here. And some of you were uh, chasing the white tails this week, weren't you? But as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul... Longs after you. You my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Have you ever, had told, ever heard someone say, I know you have, you ought to, you ought to do this. Maybe today you're hearing this, you ought to be thankful. And there's two types of ought to's when it comes to the results of life. The first is, note takers, here you go. The first is an ought to obligation. This is something you should do. If you don't do it, you ought to feel guilty about it. Shame on you. You need to do this. A second kind of ought is an ought of opportunity. This is a fascinating prospect for you. This could be, at times it could be the chance of a lifetime. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Now let me give you a few scenarios, church, and you answer back to me which one this is. is. Is it the ought of obligation or the ought of opportunity? If someone says to you, you should go see Yosemite in May with the cascading waterfalls and the breathtaking beauty. Is that an ought of obligation or an ought of opportunity? Opportunity. Opportunity. If someone says to you, you ought to pay your taxes, is that ought of obligation or ought of opportunity? Obligation. Obligation. If someone says to you on Thursday night, you should go to the Egg Bowl, is that an ought of obligation or ought of opportunity? Yeah, it depends. State fans are answering different than Ole Miss, right? (laughs) It depends if you're a bulldog or a rebel black bear land shark or whatever they call themselves <laughs> these days. It depends, right? Is it obligation or is it opportunity? Now, I've thought about this and played it out when it comes to this area of gratitude of this week of Thanksgiving. Have you noticed, now I'm a pastor, I'm a parent. My kids are growing fast, so this is not really at play now, but it, it was. It used to be a lot. But have you noticed this? Maybe parents are about your parents. And they'll say, they'll lean down to their children and they'll say, What do you say to the nice man? What do you say? What do you say to Grandma for the fruitcake? What do you say to Aunt Edna for the lima bean casserole? What do, you, what do you say? And the idea there is an ought of what? Of obligation. You ought to be grateful. You're not saying it, I'm going to say it for you. I'm going to nudge you so that you will feel the ought of thankfulness. Now, let's quit picking on kids. Let's talk to adults. Right now. If you say thanks, is it obligation or is it opportunity? You see, this message flows really from Colossians. We've been in that letter in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude, being thankful. But today, is it an ought of obligation, or an ought of opportunity? Now we do this a lot. We do a show of hands because we believe confession is good for the soul. If you, many times when you give thanks, if it's an ought of obligation, raise your hand. Just be honest. It's just sometimes you're just you're doing it. Maybe, maybe mama's not around or dad's not around to tell you to say it. But it's this ought of obligation. Should do it. I remember years ago, I went to church in Miami. I think it was a year or two before uh, Susan and I got married. And I'd gotten up with some roommates at the time. We had gone to play some Sandlot football. Played the, we call it a Turkey Bowl in the neighborhood there. And then we had a festive meal, sat on that meal for a while, and then we went to a worship service, a special Thanksgiving worship service. And God just ambushed me in that moment When the pastor wasn't preaching, the worship leader wasn't talking, no staff person was giving direction or announcements. But there was a microphone in a rather large church with a lot of people around. And there was a microphone in the middle of the room. And it was open mic night. Ever been in an environment like this? Maybe you've done it around the dinner table in a small group or a smaller church setting. There were a lot of people. You had to get some gumption, some courage step up to do this but people did and I remember one man guy I knew everybody was instructed if you get up to the mic just a sentence maybe a paragraph and that's it but state what you're thankful for and this one man stood up and to the microphone he said I'm thankful that God has been with me this past year as I lost my job one person said I'm thankful that for all the money I've lost in the market that I realized what I really do have what really appreciates in value. One 10-year-old boy, y'all, I know his mom and daddy, he stood up to the microphone he said, I'm grateful that God was with me this year in chemo. Another woman in a wheelchair was pushed toward the microphone and she said, I'm grateful for God when this week the doctor looked at me and said, chemo or hospice. And I said, I'm done with chemo. But I felt a great peace from God. And I was ambushed in that moment. I remember that. I remember those people, and I remember those stories. I've been thinking this week as I think about this word remember from Psalm 42 4 and from Ecclesiastes 12 1. Remember the work of God. Remember going to be with the people of God. Remember your creator. The God, the God, rather, who did a work. In you, when you were a younger guy or gal or whatever age you were. But I was thinking this week and studying a little bit from the early part of the scripture, the book of Genesis, about this word altar. And you know, altars are a big deal to God. Not to us, really. Doesn't seem. But altars, a physical spot or place or object that shows us about or reminds us about a spiritual moment. Look look at Genesis, just some ideas here. There's an epiphany altar. I'd love for you to look at that later in Genesis 12, 7. This was a moment where a man of God, Abraham, went back and he said, here's where God spoke to me. I long for that voice. I've forgotten it, but here's where God spoke to me. Then Genesis 13, there's a thanksgiving altar where he goes back and he remembers some work that God had done. And I wonder about you, do you have... Places in your life where God showed up. He did something. Just shake your Some of you feel like, man, you know, there was a time when God did something in my life. It was, it was powerful. I, I really sensed the arm of God. The mighty outstretched arm of God. He was real. He, he provided for me. He, he came through in the clutch. And many of you, some of you, I think, would say there was a place. And I know I've got them in my life. Steve and I were talking before the service about 2014, he was asking me about an opportunity to travel and do something. I've been looking at 2014 this week and thinking of some great opportunities that I do have. And some of those could include going back to special places in my life where God did a work. And I've even played them out in my mind. You ever do that? It's the anticipation of delight, the delightfulness of thinking, I'm going to go to this place and then I'm going to go to this very specific place. And I'm going to bring a couple of things with me because it's going to remind me of that moment when God did something. When a chain was loosened, when, when God spoke, when He gave me a sense of His direction in my life. Anybody have places like that? Scripture gives us examples and it says that we ought to mark our journey. Jeremiah said that. Mark, mark the way, mark the journey. Are you, are you making notes when Lewis and Clark explored? all the way to the Pacific Northwest. They were given a $2,500 appropriations from the government to do so. And they spent it on the boat and medicine and supplies. But almost $800 of that, I learned this week, was spent on ink. Write it down. Write it down. What you're learning, write it down so that you will remember. You can look back and it's in ink, in stone, if you will. There's a dream altar. Preachers are fond of quoting Proverbs where there's no vision, no dream, the people perish. And that word in its original language means rotting. It's a slow death. You are dying now. You may have a physical body. You may have a pulse, a vertebrae, and a central nervous system, and a heartbeat. People, you know, they're calling you if you don't pay your bills. Right? You, you've got a life, that are you living? The Scripture says... You're perishing, you're rotting without a vision, without something for the future. And here we see Abraham. There's this dream altar in his life. And then we see a decision altar. This is probably the most famous part of this this idea here. And that is a son, and a sword and an altar and a ram and a thicket. And this was a decision. Abraham said, man, it's all you, God. I'm all in. Any altars in your life. Revelation says, don't forget your first love. Remember. Remember what God has done in your life. Now it's interesting. There's a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 46, verse 9. And it says... Remember the former things of old. Now look at Isaiah 43, verse 18. Remember not the former things. Anybody confused? Anybody? I'm confused because it seems like Isaiah, the most major of all prophets, is confused. You're telling me to remember not the former things, but then you're telling me to remember... The former things. Anybody know the solution to that? Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.12, he says, I'm always going to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. I'll be honest. I have an insatiable curiosity I have for a long time. Ask my mom and dad. Ask teachers I've had. Ask people in groups that I've been with. My brain doesn't shut off much. I want to know, and I love novelty. I love new things. I love to learn new things. I love for the light to be illuminated, and for me to the epiphany moment that I talked about. Ah, I see, I see, I see something new and fresh. But Peter's saying, "I'm not going to stop reminding you of these things, although you already know them." So maybe read Peter, find out what things he's talking about. But I think there are things stated simply. There are things. Are former things that you ought to forget, but there are things—these things—that are former things that we ought to remember. Ever get a blast from a past? Can we? Do we have that clip? This is a—I think I, I saw this on daytime TV. You guys know I stay home during the day and watch TV a lot. <laughs> it's what preachers do. We just work one day a week. But uh, excuse that—we got a little bit of tech, technology trouble today. But let's—I think we can uh, get this going here. My man Steve Harvey. A little blast from the past, something he uh, was reminded of recently. This one is a surprise.
1: Okay, I said no surprises. Sorry. That's what you're saying to me, Alex. Sorry. Okay, this is a surprise calling in via satellite from Orlando. Let's see who it is. Hi, Steve, this is Rich List from Orlando, Florida, and I called you to wish you a happy birthday and ask you one question. Do you still love me, baby? <laughs> I'm waiting for my answer, buddy. Hey, Amen. I love you, man. Uh, I love you, too, man. Yeah. You, you want to say hi to your girlfriend? Who, Becky there? Yeah. Hey, man. Uh... Uh-huh. Say hi. Hey, Becky. Hi, Steve. Jesus. <laughs> we love you, buddy. These people. And we wish you the best happy birthday. I was uh, 26 years old, man. I was struggling. Mm-hmm. I, didn't have, I, didn't, I didn't have nothing. And these people, owned um, the furniture store in Cleveland, and, uh, they took me in and gave me my first contract with my little carpet cleaning company. When I became a comedian at 27, I didn't have money to travel. They gave me an account at their travel agency And man, I ran up a bill like eleven thousand dollars just trying to travel and make it. Them people right there. You know, man, they helped me out. Hey man, I I got money now, Rich. You got money? (laughs) Matter of fact, hey Rich. I'm going to send yeah. a plane to pick up you and Becky. I'm going to fly y'all to exactly. Chicago for the show. I've been looking for you for years, man. man. <laughs> you found me, baby. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a great birthday, Steve. Have a great birthday. Thank you. I, I want. Hey, man. What? You bailed me, man. I, I never forgot it. Thank you, okay. man. Oh, we love you. We love you, Steve. I love y'all too, man. All right, I didn't need Bye
0: you. Bye-bye. You bailed me, man. You bailed me. And what I love about that, I do a lot of sports illustrations and stuff, so we have to throw one to the ladies, right? Daytime talk show. But man, I, I love a grown man that's not afraid of crying. It's just real, right? It's just, it's just it's a surprise and it's in the moment. And I wonder if you got somebody in your life like that. Man, they were there for you. You needed them. They didn't know you were going to go on to be anybody. It was just they loved you. And they gave what you, they gave you what you needed at the time. It was huge. Man, I love to see somebody be grateful. You see, in the context of this letter that we're studying to the church at Colossae, it says that... Be at peace. In, you know, you're know, you called. Let, let the peace of Christ dwell in you. You're called indeed to one body. This is a thing that we're in this together. This whole gratitude, this worshiping God and expressing thanks to Him. We're in this together. We are one body, not a bunch of different bodies. We're one body. And we're called to just overflow, to rent, let it richly, richly come out of us to others. Now that is, that's a, that's a horizontal thing. That's a, a man to a man, a man to a couple who all those years ago, they were there for him. He's saying, he's cried. he's saying, man, I lost you, I forgot about you. Well, I didn't forget about you, but we lost touch. And bam, I guess he's saying, I forgot to say thanks. And now I have this opportunity. I am who I am today because of what you did. Now go vertical. God has bailed us out. No matter how busy you are. No matter what type of ought obligation you have. This is not a walk where you fold your arms. Where you're worried about what other people think of you. Where you're so concerned about expression. But I think think we're called to say, God, you bailed me out. Some of you know. I know some of you know painfully about chapter 11 bankruptcy. It cripples you for some time. Christians have different ideas about this, but there's something called Chapter Seven bankruptcy. Do you know about that? Not everybody does, but that's worse than Chapter Eleven. That's the lowest of the lows, and that's a financial point where you're like, "Man, I'm wrecked." And the gospel to us, sin, the condition of sin, is Chapter Seven, and we need a Savior. Remember your Creator. Remember the days of rescue. Remember what He's done in your life. We're going to do the very thing. God gave, Abraham, uh, God gave Abraham circumcision. He gave Noah a rainbow. He gave Joshua a pile of stones. Build it here and remember And all the people behind you will remember. Jesus took ordinary, everyday objects like bread and wine, and He said, let this allow you to remember my love and my sacrifice. We're going to do that today as Will and Molly make their way up to lead us in song. We're going to have a four leaders around the room at the elements, at the bread and the wine, two in the front, two in the back. You're going to be instructed by an usher of when you and your row will stand in the direction that you'll go to take the elements. We're going to ask that you'll take a piece of bread, the bread representing the body of Christ, and take that piece of bread and the bread only, not your fingers, But the bread, the tip of that bread, dip it into the wine or the juice. The cup is labeled wine or juice, and it's your choice. But you dip in, when you take the element, the bread, they will say to you, this is Christ's body broken for you. And when you dip into the wine or the juice, they'll say, this is His blood shed for you. It's our way to remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, don't take this in an unworthy manner. If your heart is not right, don't do this. What did he mean? He meant that we need to know that Christ has made us worthy, And it's not our own merit. What He has done for us, it's enough. He's imputed His righteousness to us. He went to the cross. He died for you. Today, with thankful hearts, we remember Him. An usher may point to you and it may feel like obligation, but my prayer is that we, you and I, grow more and more into seeing it as an opportunity to express deep gratitude to him would you stand we pray for us and then we're gonna we're gonna partake God we want you now to receive our worship in the simple and in the ordinary steps that we take. Lord, we're saying to you and, and to you alone, yet we share it together as an experience as a body. We say that you have made peace, you have reconciled us to us. Give us hope that our lives can overflow with gratitude. That indeed we're called to a body and that we can express gratitude to each other and to you in a way that really is abiding and is a beautiful thing. Lord, this is a beautiful thing. It is a simple thing. To take what seems secular, what seems so elementary, and Lord, to give it meaning that you have given it. A body broken, blood shed, being raised in life, a crucified life, life. Lord, we ask that you receive our worship as we remember our Creator, as we remember our Savior, as we take a pilgrimage to the cross, to a place of grace in Jesus' name.